episode 275 of the TruthQuest podcast, The Truth About the Abolishment of the Department of Education. Please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform, share episodes with your friends, and support the podcast by shopping at truthquestshirtfactory.com, where we produce shirts with thought-provoking expressions inspired by various podcast episodes. Question, how big is the federal government? Answer, at last count, nearly 2 million civilian employees and over 440 agencies. Question, how many of those 440 plus agencies are constitutional? Answer, probably less than 10%. The Department of Education is one of those unconstitutional federal agencies and should be abolished and defunded by Congress today. It began operating on May 4, 1980, having been created after the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare was split into the Department of Education and the Department of Health and Human Services by the Department of Education Organization Act, which President Jimmy Carter signed into law on October 17, 1979. For some of you, calling for the defunding and abolishment of a federal agency, any agency, much less one as important as the Department of Education, since they are dealing with molding the next generation, is blasphemy, or at the very least, highly irregular, as Dr. Spock from Star Trek used to say. You may be wondering how I can make such a bold statement. The reason is simple. The Department of Education is unconstitutional, meaning its very existence is essentially illegal, constitutionally speaking. How do I know that? Because the powers granted by the states to the newly created federal government are listed succinctly in Article 1, Section 8 of the United States Constitution. These powers listed in those 18 paragraphs include the following. Six paragraphs concerning the military and the militia. Four of them concern money or taxes. One paragraph concerns commerce. One paragraph concerns naturalization and bankruptcy. One paragraph concerns post office and post roads. There's one on copyrights and patents. One concerns federal courts, there's one on maritime crimes, one on the governance of the District of Columbia, and finally one paragraph gives Congress the power to, quote, make all laws which shall be necessary and proper for carrying into execution the foregoing powers. This is known as the Necessary and Proper Clause. More on that in a few minutes. That's all, folks. That's everything the federal government is constitutionally allowed to do. Now, just in case there was any confusion after reading Article 1, Section 8, the Founding Fathers authored the Tenth Amendment of the Constitution, which reads, The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. As James Madison explained in Federalist 45, quote, The powers delegated by the proposed Constitution to the federal government are few and defined. I assume there's no controversy on that statement given what we just covered. Madison continued, those powers that are to remain in the states are numerous and indefinite. Again, any arguments there? The Tenth Amendment is pretty damn clear. Let's finish the Madison quote. The former, that being the powers delegated to the federal government, will be exercised principally on external objects as war, peace, negotiation, and foreign commerce with which last the power of taxation will for the most part, be connected. He goes on to say, quote, the powers reserved to the several states will extend to all the objects which in the ordinary course of affairs concern the lives, liberty, and properties of the people in the internal order, improvement, and prosperity of the state. 
Hello, ordinary course of affairs, internal order, prosperity, the education of our children. Am I connecting the dots here? By the way, one of the shirts we sell at truthquestshirtfactory.com says, few and defined, numerous and indefinite. I encourage you to pick one up if this argument is piquing your interest. Back to Article 1, Section 8. Did you hear me say anything about education in there, those 18 paragraphs? No, of course not, because it's not listed in the enumerated powers delegated to the federal government by the states, and therefore the Department of Education is unconstitutional and should be abolished and defunded today. Despite the fact that the Department of Education should not exist, it has an annual budget of $68 billion and an employee base of over 4,400 people. Not only could we save almost $100 billion a year, but we, the economy as a whole, would benefit by returning all of those employees to productive capacities in the private sector, perhaps in the private education sector, rather than in a government agency that adds nothing to the economy, rather acts as a drag on the economy by sucking out finite resources of labor and money and pisses both down an inefficient, incompetent, unconstitutional federal agency. So what is the Department of Education supposed to do? Well, according to its Wikipedia entry, given the decentralized nature of education in America, the Department of Education is not involved in determining curricula or educational standards. It does, however, establish policies on federal financial aid for education and distributing as well as monitoring those funds. It does collect data on America's schools and disseminates research. It does focus national attention on key educational issues, and it prohibits discrimination and ensures equal access to education. The department's own website says their mission is to, quote, promote student achievement and preparation for global competitiveness by fostering educational excellence and ensuring equal access. Wow, that sounds really good. I want you to remember that global competitiveness line. We'll touch on that shortly. The website goes on to point to seven goals. They include strengthen the federal commitment to assuring access to equal educational opportunity for every individual. Supplement and complement the efforts of states, the local school systems, and other instrumentalities of the state, the private sector, public and private nonprofit educational research institutions, community-based organizations, parents and students to improve the quality of education. It also is there to encourage the increased involvement of the public parents and students in federal education programs. It's there to promote improvements in the quality and usefulness of education through federally supported research, evaluation, and sharing of information. It's also there to improve the coordination of federal education programs, improve the management of federal education activities, and increase the accountability of federal education programs to the president, the Congress, and the public. Did you notice my sarcastic emphasis there? Strengthen, coordinate, encourage, manage, promote, improve federal, federal, federal programs and activities. So they create an unnecessary department, an illegal or unconstitutional department, which then shoves its agenda, its programs, and its activities down the throats of hundreds of millions of Americans. Doesn't sound very decentralized to me. In other words, like so many federal agencies, the Department of Education is a combination of benefactor and mob boss as they dole out printed dollars from the bankrupt treasury 
and extort states and local education systems who are dependent on those funds to do their bidding. Besides the question of constitutionality, no one ever asked the question, why? Why does the nation need a federal department of education? After all, for the first 205 years of the nation's existence, we operated without centralized guidance on this particular subject. We were able to educate our own children without the corrupting influence of some bureaucrat in D.C. As a matter of fact, the nation thrived without centralized guidance on the subject of education. The United States became the most powerful, most influential country on the planet in less than 200 years without a Department of Education, proving its very existence is pointless. There is no need for a federal agency to collect data and disseminate research on schools. There are private sector entities that specialize in data collection, research, and analysis. There is no need to focus national attention on key education issues, federal education issues. And there is no need for a national agency to deal with discrimination and access issues when it comes to education, as all states have laws dealing with both issues. And there certainly should be no need for Washington to dole out billions of printed dollars. A quick review of recent press releases on the department's website prove my benefactor and mob boss analogy correct. More than 50% of them have to do with money being doled out for various things. Grants, student loans, student loan debt relief, money for child care for student parents, improve and strengthen family engagement programs, and education innovation. There was one with $11 million to preserve native languages and increase native teacher retention and support tribal educational agencies. $35 million to develop personnel in support of children with disabilities. $199 million to improve career opportunities for students with disabilities through partnerships. $2.6 million awarded to support mental health services and professionals in schools. And $40 million to support Hispanic-serving institutions. A good 40% of the press releases are dealing with non-educational bullshit like discrimination, civil rights, harassment, promoting diversity. The balance is a hodgepodge of shit like distributing free COVID tests to schools. That was just in the last three months. All of that is outside the realm of the federal government. All of that is wasted money and resources. The individual states are perfectly capable of handling all of that shit. Oh, in the case of the Department of Education, they also apparently can impose fines on schools for various violations. This from another Education Department press release. The U.S. Department of Education, Office of Federal Student Aid, today announced a $37.7 million fine against Grand Canyon University, which dispersed the most federal student aid to all participating institutions for the past four award years. The federal student aid investigation found Grand Canyon lied to more than 7,500 former and current students about the cost of its doctoral programs over several years. Grand Canyon falsely advertised a lower cost than what 98% of students ended up paying to complete certain doctoral programs. Here's a quote. Grand Canyon University lied about the cost of its doctoral programs to attract students to enroll, says Financial Services Chief Operating Officer Richard Corderay. Quote continues, Financial Services Administration takes its oversight responsibilities seriously. Grand Canyon lies, harms students, broke their trust, and led to unexpected high levels of student debt. Today we are holding Grand Canyon accountable for its actions, protecting students and taxpayers, taxpayers, my ass, and upholding the integrity of the federal student aid program. 
it should say, the integrity of the unconstitutional federal student aid program. FYI, Grand Canyon is a private Christian and apparently affordable college. I'm sure that had nothing to do with the Biden administration going after them. So the average person might read that press release and say, hell yeah, they need to be busted for lying. But the real question is, why in the hell is a federal government agency levying fines on a private company? Well, the answer is, well, obvious, because federal funds were used in the form of student loans, which were paid to Grand Canyon. See how the mob boss analogy plays out? The feds get their tentacles into hundreds of sectors in the economy through their funding. Do as we say or else. Or else what? We'll stop funding you. In other words, extortion. Or we will prosecute you and levy fines for misappropriation of the unconstitutionally granted funding. The average person never even gets to that level of analysis. But I want to drive this point home. The real question we should be asking is why the hell is the federal government involved here at all? Why are they doling out money to people to pursue higher education? It's unconstitutional, folks. That's the end of the story. It's illegal. We're done here. If Grand Canyon committed fraud, there are laws against that. The federal government has no standing to get involved. Some of you may be saying, well, surely we can point to the success of the unconstitutional Department of Education. I mean, education is better because the agency exists, right? After all, it says right there on their website that one of the reasons they exist is to improve global competitiveness. Remember, I told you we'd be coming back to this point. In 2002, the National Assessment of Educational Progress reported that approximately one-third of students in 4th, 8th, and 12th grades are proficient in reading. So do you know what that means? It means that approximately two-thirds of students in the 4th, 8th, and 12th grades are not proficient in reading. If the schools cannot teach every student to read with the kind of money the Fed pumps into the schools, then maybe we should see what the results would be without the money. We're headed for a future where approximately 40% of the population cannot even function in society. It's worse in places like Chicago, Oakland, Detroit, and St. Louis that have been run for decades by the doomsday cult formerly known as the Democratic Party. Yet we throw, what, 10 to 12 grand per pupil in many municipalities? I mean, in what world does a business survive that gets paid $10,000 a year to produce a product that can do rudimentary reading, writing, and arithmetic? And only 33% of those products, the students, on average, are able to hit that mark. A recent international study confirms these results, where the United States ranked 18th in the world. So much for global competitiveness. The Federal Department of Education and many state and local boards of education, for that matter, are laughable jokes. They are pathetic. I would argue it is criminal what they are not doing for their clients, the students, the parents, and the community as a whole. It's heartbreaking to think that public officials think so little of their fellow man or children that they are willfully negligent in their pursuit of the education of them, meaning they are willfully not doing their jobs. They are simply collecting a paycheck, and in the case of the national teachers' unions, donating to the Democratic Party, so the cycle continues. At the beginning of the episode, I told you I was going to circle back to the necessary and proper clause from Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution, because I know there is a certain percentage of you who are thinking something like, Well, I thought the Constitution grants Congress the power to do whatever is necessary and proper. Here's that clause again. The Congress shall have the power to make all laws which shall be necessary and proper for carrying into execution the foregoing powers. 
and all other powers vested by this Constitution in the government of the United States or in any department or officer thereof. What is the key phrase in that sentence? That would be the foregoing powers. It doesn't say Congress can pass laws about anything and everything. It doesn't say they can pass laws on whatever is convenient or popular. And it certainly does not provide for unlimited discretion, as James Madison once wrote. Congress is granted the power to make laws that are necessary and proper to execute the foregoing powers, the delegated or enumerated powers, those delineated in the prior paragraph right above the necessary and proper clause in Article 1, Section 8. That's the reason they put that clause right at the end there, just in case anyone was wondering what it was talking about. Is education one of the foregoing powers? Of course not. And for those of you who know a little bit about the necessary and proper clause, it doesn't matter that George Washington skated that clause by signing into law the bill establishing the first national bank, another thing that's not listed in Article 1, Section 8. And it doesn't matter that Chief Justice John Marshall expanded the meaning of necessary in McCullough v. Maryland. And it doesn't matter that his interpretation is what is taught to every law student in the country. Bad law is bad law. Unconstitutional is unconstitutional. An unconstitutional law is null and void and should be nullified, or in other words, ignored. Given the dire financial situation that the federal government finds itself in, with national debt soaring to $33, $34 trillion as of this recording, interest and price inflation rates at generation-high levels, the loss of our reserve currency status, and the end of the petrodollar scheme, it is time for the federal government to trim back down to its original size and scope. A small step in that direction is the abolishment of the Department of Education. This is not complicated. Given the undisputed fact that education is not one of the enumerated powers in the Constitution to the federal government, any federal agency or department engaged in that activity should be defunded and abolished today. The fact that Congress passed and a president signed a law creating an agency to administer or regulate education doesn't mean jack shit. Look, folks, we cannot run a country without rules, at least not one that has a chance of surviving long term. The Constitution is the country's rule book. In order to return the country to the constitutional balance we originally were bequeathed by the Founding Fathers, it follows that 90 plus percent of all federal departments and agencies need to be abolished, defunded, and or dismantled, starting with the Department of Education. And that's the truth about the abolishment of the Department of Education. Please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform, share episodes with your friends, and support the podcast by shopping at truthquestshirtfactory.com.